Hi, everyone. My name's Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. I got to move this a little closer somehow so I can see. Get it. I'm sorry. I got to be in the light. How is everyone tonight? Happy to make it in this uh, cold weather. My girls and I are heading to North Carolina tomorrow. And <laughs> Steve did know we were going. Um, and I got to tell you, we were so happy. We're going to see my new, um, my niece's new baby. It's been in the 70s there. And then we found out yesterday it's going to be in the 40s next week. <laughs> but it'll still be good to go. The sunshine, the sun will be shining. Hey, we are doing a little leaning into Lent. That's what we're calling it, a little pre-Lent, because Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. And that whole Lenten season when we do that 40-day journey to the cross, and it's a time often of some intentionality around prayer and giving and fasting, so everyone get ready, because this is pretty exciting. Tonight, we're going to talk about fasting. Do I get like a, come on, Schmeez, a whoop whoop? <laughs> I have to tell you, when I first looked at this passage and the topic, I was thinking, what in the world? I just don't know much about fasting, and frankly, I don't know, don't know many people who practice it, but here's what I promise you. By the end of this message tonight, I think you'll find it kind of compelling, because I certainly did. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew right now. And if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, we spent some time in it last spring. And that is one of Jesus' first like public messages. Kind of turns the world upside down because all of a sudden he's looking at kingdom of God and kingdom of God people and they're unexpected people. And they're people who have their hearts centered on Jesus. It gives us this deeper picture of the life that God calls us to live. And the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes, remember those like blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek. And then Jesus goes on to talk about righteous living. What does it mean to live right with God and one another? And the cool thing about the Sermon on the Mount and that piece which ties into today is Jesus raises the bar on all that. He said that it's not enough to just do really good works. That righteous living has to do with something that's going on in here. And so he talks a lot about that in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're in Matthew 6, and Jesus is talking about what the heart of God looks like when we pray and when we give and when we fast. Sort of um, think of it like the big three of Jesus' day. Those were really important Christians' practices, well, Jewish practices in those days. And Jesus is giving these kind of timeless instructions to his followers. And he starts here because all three of those things, praying, giving, fasting, come under this umbrella. And it's Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And in each of these practices, and it's important for what we're talking about today, Jesus points to one thing, and that's motive. Because here's the thing, if the religious of the day are doing their righteous acts, but they have one eye out on whoever is watching, they're going down the wrong path. Because Jesus says that what we do, we need to do for God alone. And for that reason, he gives very specific instructions to make sure of the integrity of it all, that all our outward acts match 
our inner reality. Now, the Hebrew scriptures um, shaped the Jewish religion of Jesus' day. And while fasting wasn't a commandment except for one time a year on the Day of Atonement, it certainly was something that was practiced regularly. So in Jesus' day, the very religious and the Pharisees were known to fast twice a week. You were known to be really righteous if you did those things. But Jesus had something to say about all that. We're in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. So it'll be up on the screen, or you can grab a pew Bible if you want as well. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by our Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think there's two principles in there that we can apply to our lives today. And the first, which is kind of surprising, because again, I don't think we talk about it a lot, but we are to fast regularly. Now, hold on, because I'm going to talk explain what that could look like as I go on. But here's the thing. Jesus assumes his followers are going to fast. He says, and when you fast. He doesn't say if. He says, and when you fast. And it was a practice of the day, right? Part of their prayer, their worship, their devotion to God. But it was about growing the internal. It was about connecting with God. That was the point of fasting. And Jesus fasted himself. I mean, we look in the book of Matthew in chapter 4, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and the tempter tempts him, tempts him when he's hungry, and he says, turn that stone into bread. And Jesus' response is, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All along, Jesus has been telling his followers that a life of faith is about growing spiritually on the inside out. It's about being formed in the image of Christ. And here's the beauty of spiritual practices like fasting. When we are intentional about taking time, about doing things like fasting, we're able to have a better awareness of the presence of God, a greater longing for God. Remember the psalmist, taste and see and you'll want more. And it deepens our dependence on God. The ultimate satisfier. Dallas Willard, he said this in speaking about fasting. Fasting on the Lord is feasting. Fasting on the Lord is feasting. I kind of love that. It's kind of counterintuitive, I think to the way that we think about fasting. And I think the ultimate why of fasting is that we want to genuinely know God. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So we're to fast regularly. And I'm going to go out on a limb, at least for me this is true, that that's foreign to most of us, Right? It certainly isn't something we talk about in the American church very often. And frankly, when I think about my own experiences with fasting, um, they're shallow. They go about this deep. 
they're pretty limited, I've realized that I haven't had a good understanding of fasting. I mean, how often have we said, hey, it's Lent, I'm going to give up sugar, chocolate, hey, and maybe I'll lose a few pounds on the side. I mean, I think that's not where Jesus was going with this. And one, one of the things, one of the stories um, of our family that always stands out for me when I think about fasting during Lent my kids were in grade school and maybe middle school, and we decided as a family, you know what? We are going to give up pop for the entirety of Lent. Well, unfortunately for us, right in the middle of that, um, we had a 14-hour road trip to Colorado. And uh, Steve and I, the parents, just kind of felt like, I don't know if we can go that long without a little caffeine, a little pop. So we said to the kids, you know what? I'm sure God would be good with us just taking a little break from the, from the pop. And, of course, our number two daughter... The rule follower, <gasps> we made a commitment to God. We cannot drink pop on this trip. And so Steve and I um, duly noted that. And, and being the integrous kind of parents we are, in the most God-honoring way we could, as soon as everyone fell asleep, we went through the drive-thru at McDonald's and got ourselves a, got ourselves a Coca-Cola. <laughs> but that is about how much I know about fasting and giving up things. And that is not obviously what Jesus had intended for all of us. But I think maybe we need to look at this a lot more broadly in our current context with hanging on to the message and meaning of what Jesus had for us. Because the spiritual discipline that Jesus is talking about here, that's, that's the discipline of denying gratis, gratification of self in order to have satisfaction in Jesus and I think that is so countercultural for us today, right? I mean, we live in a culture that seeks constantly personal fulfillment, career, money, sex, status, all these things. And then the irony is this, that we are completely unsatisfied. We are always left wanting. But maybe, maybe if we take some regular time, if we establish a rhythm of setting aside something that we really love, something like food, we might connect with God in a different way. And the intent while fasting would be that we'd be prompted to pray, that maybe in those moments that we have hunger pains or we're going through withdrawals, that it, we're reminded to seek God. And it's all a means to a greater end, right? Denying self to experience God in a deeper way, a way that changes us. It's about setting something good aside for something better. So fasting from food would be just one means, but maybe a commitment to fast from TV or social media or our cell phones, or maybe fasting from busyness and doing it for a period of time on a regular basis. Because I think the big question for all of us are what are the areas in our life that we maybe overdo that actually take us away from a relationship with Jesus? What might we need to take regular breaks from? Maybe we need to cut out. What can we sacrifice in order to experience God in a deeper, more meaningful way? So that's the first piece of this passage. And it's simple, but... I feel like I've never really heard it before. We are too fast. We're to take a break. We're to set aside. But the second part, and this is what I love about Jesus, his instructions are pretty clear, is that we are to do it in secret. 
Isn't that amazing? We are to do it in secret. And he instructs us on the how not to or how to. Now, I just want to clarify quickly because some of us get stuck on that a little bit. So we're supposed to do all this stuff in secret, but we're supposed to live our faith out here. And there's a difference, right? Because we can look in the book of Acts and they talk about how our inward faith should be outward in the world and that people should know us as people who follow and love Jesus and the way that we love. That's true, but here's the difference that kind of life points to Jesus. What Jesus is talking about are disciplines, spiritual practices that point to ourselves. And that's what he's telling us to avoid. Now, he has a good reason to do this because the current practice of Jesus' day was that people would advertise their fasting by letting their hair grow and get all tangly in their beard and they'd smear ashes all over their face so everybody would know who the really righteous were. But here's what Jesus says. You're play acting. You're putting a mask on that real fasting is just between you and God. It's not to show off. So he says, do what you normally do. Wash your face. Anoint your head with oil. Just be normal. Don't fast in a way that you're making yourself unrecognizable so that you'll be recognizable. You can think of it like fasting for fame. That's what Jesus is saying that we don't do. Reminds me a little bit of um, a famous, uh, what shall I call him, exercise expert. How many of you here are familiar with Sean T? Insanity, P90X, come on, really? Think of him like um, the Richard Simmons of the 70s and 80s. Who's familiar with Richard Simmons? Guys, come on. Well, for some of you older folk, Jack Lane. I remember Jack Lane. Well, so for years, Steve and I would do this insanity video in our living room together. And um, quite a spectacle. You wouldn't want to be peeking in the windows. It's not pretty. But he has this all cardio video. DVD, and at the end of it, after you've done all this work, and there's Shanti, and he is so buff, and he's got sweat dripping off him, and he's doing the cool down, he's kind of doing the squat, and he says, sometimes I wonder, why do I do the things that I do? And then he pauses, he pauses, and you're kind of thinking, like, where's he going with this? Come on, Shanti. And then he looks up with a big grin, and he says, because I want to look good. This is exactly what Jesus is warning us against. We do not do things to look good. We do things to connect with God. And that's the beautiful message. Jesus is saying, beware. Beware. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus is worried about that. He talks about that. He says, beware. Because you'll be a hypocrite. What you do on the outside will not match what's going on on the inside. And I think we're all susceptible to falling into that. And I was thinking about this, that what might help us kind of take off those masks? And I think part of that is being aware of the lies that we all believe as followers of Jesus, or at some time or another we've believed, these lies that actually lead us to hypocrisy. And I think these are a few of them that came to my mind. First one, being a Christian is about doing the right things. Sometimes we fall into believing that, checking all the box. I've done all the right things. I'm good, right? 
And Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It is about relationship. And when we get that it's about relationship, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Duty versus love, doing the right things, or are we doing it because we love God? I think the second lie that we often buy into is that we believe that the, the purpose of a spiritual practice is for ourself. It's gratifying. I feel good about myself when I'm reading that Bible every day. I feel good about myself when I'm in that prayer group. That's not what spiritual practices are about at all. The purpose isn't for me to feel good or for you to feel good. The purpose is to glorify God. The purpose is to connect with God. I think another thing we often buy into is this idea that we need to act more godly than we are. And boy, talk about putting a face up and a mask up. It's often called the imposter syndrome. And I think what happens is that when we learn to talk the talk and we're not being changed from the inside out, that we just keep perpetuating that lie. And I think actually it turns people away from wanting to be part of the church. And lastly, I think something for us to be aware of, this lie that we've bought into is that the approval of others is more important than the approval of God. It is so much easier, isn't it, to, to get the applause, the affirmation from people. And here's the message everybody. Keeping up religious appearances doesn't cut it. That only goes skin deep and Jesus raises the bar on that. He says it's not enough. He wants our whole heart. He wants us. He wants us to be eager to please and to love God. He wants us to do everything that we do for God. Years ago, when we first joined Christ Presbyterian Church, years ago, I think Kate wasn't even born, probably 25 years ago, they had a female pastor there, Judy Ritchie, who gave a sermon that to this day I remember, and the message of the sermon is, we have an audience of one. I think it's so easy for us to fall away from that, but we have an audience of one. And Jesus wants us. He wants us to wash our faces, take the masks off. He wants to see our authentic selves. Because when we live a life that points to Jesus, the reward is this, a depth and a breadth of a relationship that is completely satisfying. But when we're acting, pointing to self, like the Pharisees did, Jesus says this, Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. And they did. They got exactly what they wanted. There was no real spiritual, no righteous benefit to what they were doing, no relational building between self and God. Because that's not what they were about. That's not what they cared about. What motivated the Pharisees, the religious of that day, was often to be noticed by others, to be acknowledged as religious. And here's what Jesus is saying. They got their reward, and that's it. That's the only reward they're going to get. And we all know that, right? We've all achieved these things in life, and we get the reward, and it's really awesome for a moment. And then it's gone. It's not lasting. 
But the lasting, the satisfying reward comes from a life-changing relationship that happens over time as we connect with God in a way that can only happen when we're willing to set ourselves aside and step into practices and spaces where we can truly meet and experience God. And here's the piece of that that's true. It doesn't always feel natural. It always doesn't always feel comfortable. But it's always so worth it. When I was reading commentaries on this, there was a pastor that said, regarding the reward, the reward is not glamorous, but oh, it is so glorious. So here's the thing. Do we have what it takes to engage in something foreign to us? Something uncomfortable and unfamiliar that might stretch us? Can we see spiritual practices like fasting for what they are? A gift and a doorway to a deeper connection with God, to the presence of God. So as we get ready to enter the Lenten season, I'd love to do this. I'd love for us to challenge ourselves, to challenge ourselves to look honestly at our lives, What are our motivations? Where are our hearts as it pertains to our own spiritual practices? Or maybe lack of, maybe we've never had any. But let's take an honest look at that. Because if we can do that, I think together we can meet Jesus in a way that continues us on this journey of belonging, of belonging to God and one another. So can we fast from something in our lives that we love that maybe takes us away from God? And whether that be food or social media or TV, whatever that is for you, can we lay that down and pick something up far more beautiful, far more satisfying? So look internally and ask yourselves, what might that be for you? Because maybe it would be food. Maybe it'd be saying, hey, you know what? One evening a week during Lent, I'm going to give up dinner. And in that time, I'm going to be intentional on being quiet with God or connecting. Or maybe a couple mornings a week, I'm going to completely disconnect from any technology. And I'm going to spend that time maybe with my children, (laughs) maybe connecting with my wife. Maybe out in nature with God. Maybe you're going to say, once a week I am having Sabbath. I am putting aside busyness and I'm doing something completely different. Something that's going to connect me to my creator in a way that I don't typically do. Maybe for you it's praying. Maybe you shift your schedule. Maybe you turn off the TV at night so you get up 15 minutes earlier before anybody else does and you spend time reflecting, praying, reading, committing to a daily reflection. Maybe for you, you're going to meet Jesus in works of mercy. Maybe you have an intentional practice during Lent where you serve a meal somewhere or you volunteer at school or you visit a sick neighbor because it's in those spaces too that we meet Jesus in very real and powerful ways. 
There's someone I know that during Lent, they carry around dollar bills so that whenever they meet someone in need, that they have more than a smile to give that person. And it's an intentional practice, a practice in which they say they meet Jesus. And maybe we meet Jesus in community, and we have, Matt and I have a couple things that we would love to throw out to you guys. This Lent, we're going to have three Lenten gatherings. And at the end of your pews, Zane, do you have one? Can you hold it up? There's a sheet of paper, and it gives the dates. And two of the evenings are at 7.30 p.m. It's Thursday, March 21st, and Thursday, April 4th. And then Thursday, April 18th, on Monday, Thursday, we are going to gather. We're going to gather in smaller groups and homes, and we're going to just be together in fellowship. We're going to spend some time in Lenten devotion so that we might know one another and God better. So what I ask is if you guys can grab that, and you can start doing it right now if you want or as soon as we end, and sign up if you're interested at all because we're going to try to put people into groups and mix us up a little bit so we get to know each other. We'd love it if you guys would do that. And here's the other thing we'd like to offer up. Wednesdays in Lent, starting on March 13th, going through April 17th, Wednesdays at noon, Matt and I will be sitting over at Lynn Hall, and we invite anyone who wants to show up, and we are going to do a little Lectio Divina, and we're going to study some of the scripture and have conversation, and the scripture that, is, um, that we're going to be using in the message in the upcoming Sunday. We'd love to have anybody come and join us in that. And if you don't, it'll just be Matt. It'll just be Matt and me. So please come. We would love that. Yep. Um, it starts Wednesday, March 13th at noon. And it goes every Wednesday through April 17th, that Wednesday of Holy Week. And we'll just be hanging out. And we would love, love, love it if you guys would come. Also, this week, we will have online other Lenten studies, resources, things that you guys can do and um, can tap into as well. So that's our challenge for Lent, an intentional practice, a practice that puts Jesus front and center. So there you have it. What path will you walk in the next 40 days? Because I think we are all people on a journey together that are trying to find the heart of God, this place that we all belong. And the spiritual practices aren't for the sake of spiritual practices. That's not the goal. It's drawing closer to Jesus. And here's what I love the most about this very short passage that I thought was so beautiful. Far more than a conviction, it was an invitation from Jesus. Because if you want to feast, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be content, fulfilled, if you want to ease the pain of life, here's what Jesus is saying here. I'm right here. I am the living water. I'm the bread of life, the source that never runs out. I'm the feast that never ends. And that's a beautiful thing. So this Lent, let's choose Lent. Let's choose Jesus. What I love about it is we can do it together. Let's pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we come together humbly 
we come together and we are messy and broken. But gosh, God, you just continue to move our hearts for a deeper desire in you. We thank you that you are a God who has created us, a God who loves us, a God who walks with us and all the joys and sorrows of life. And in this season of Lent, God, give us the courage to look honestly at ourselves. Give us the courage to step into something new, something that might change us just a little bit, something that will draw us closer to you. Because at the end of the day, God, when we're closer to you, we can love one another better and we can love the world better. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love the invitation that Debbie is putting out tonight to take on a practice that's foreign, that we don't, it's not in our regular routine. I was thinking about, I was sitting down with our five-year-old the other day. We're trying to play piano. If you've never played piano with a five-year-old, oh, that's a trip. It's a wild experience. But we got an app where he's trying to learn piano. He, just, he has to like hit all the notes that Taylor Swift sings. I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me. How he's trying to do it, to beat the level he's on, is just use one finger per note at each time to get the score that he needs to get. The problem is, is the moment that I try to show him you need to hold your hands in a certain way to play the piano, it's like meltdown. It's a hot mess. It's a disaster. Lesson over. The reality is, as Debbie was talking, I think about how so often we can get so good at just hitting the right notes with one finger and we can study the songs, but we never actually enter into the music, right? We can know the ins and outs, but we don't actually connect with the poetry and the beauty and the fullness of all that's in there. It's much uh, more desirable to have change than it is to actually be changed. But Debbie's invitation that she cast before us tonight to take on practice that brings us down a different road. It's actually the same road that Jesus invited his followers to take on the night before he was killed, when they gathered for a small meal. And he lifted up the bread in the middle of the table and he looked into their eyes and he said, this is my body broken for you. From now on, whenever you eat this, remember me. And then he reached for the wine and he poured himself a glass and he poured the others a glass and he lifted up the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Whenever you drink from this cup, remember, don't forget. And so we do that here as a practice that is foreign in all other spaces of our lives, but we do it here every Sunday, trusting that there is something about our formation inside of it. How we go about that is we have uh, gluten-free elements in the middle, gluten-full elements on the side. You can come up, tear a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and, and be blessed by that moment. Before we do that, though, will you please stand with me and say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 